God speaks to us in his word in Mark 15:42 through Mark 16:1 through 8. And when the evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arithmathea, a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. And summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph bought a linen shroud and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. And he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went out to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from that entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Gracie. Hey, good morning. Golly, it's 11 o'clock. You guys aren't even awake yet at 11. Happy Easter, everybody. It's good to see you. Y'all looking nice, looking clean. Been waiting for months, man. Y'all done, some of y'all done laid out your outfit like three, four months ago. Said, man, Easter's coming. It's dark and snowy or whatever, whichever day it was. But here you are. Lord have mercy. Y'all, we need to do some jumping jacks or something. I don't know. Look, my name is Ben. If I haven't met you guys yet, I've, I'm a lead pastor here. Serve as one of the other pastors. We've got several. And um, really glad that you guys are with us today. Thanks for making it. Um, thanks for, I'm proud of you. You did it. You brought the whole family. For those of you who had kids, man, somehow, some way, you got them all together in the same place on time. You deserve a round of applause for doing that. So thank you for being here. Happy Resurrection Day. So I want to start by talking about something that is probably probably pretty obvious, but I want to kind of put it in front of our face today. I want to start by talking about the problem with the world. I don't have to convince you guys that everything is not up and to the right. I don't know if I sit here and have to talk you into the fact that your life is a little bit harder than you planned. You don't have quite as much money as you hoped. How many people in the room had a plan of marriage, kids, certain number? They're all gonna act exactly the same. None of them are gonna act crazy ever. My husband or wife, are gonna be able to read my mind and know exactly what I need, exactly what they should say to me before I even have to ask them, they're gonna be perfect. My job is gonna be just right, the right career. They're always gonna give me a pay raise without me even having to ask them and it's always gonna be way more than I think I deserve. Anybody check out so far? Has anybody have that life, by the way? I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but if you do, You need to come find me after this is over with and we'll do some sort of, I don't know, we'll do a class you need to teach on how to do that. Well, maybe you've, okay, how about this? Maybe you've checked out so far, like you just, you haven't faced the fact that life 
you know, you, life has been perfect for you. Let's talk about vacation. I was talking to a buddy recently about vacation with his kids. How many of you guys, especially with kids, how many of you guys go on vacation and vacation is the most fun, restful, you get to eat all the food that you've ever wanted to eat. Kids, you don't have to pay, pay attention to them, they're just perfectly fine and you, you sleep all that you wanna sleep. You come back from vacation and you're like, man, that was perfect. I'm so rested, I'm ready to tackle the day. I'm ready to tackle my life. Vacation with all these kids, the place was perfect. It was utopia. The weather was perfect. I can probably count on, I love the beach so much. I love it. I could, I could probably talk for days about how much I love the beach. If I ever just disappear, pick a beach. I'll be, you'll find me at some point. Just go to all of them. I can count on one hand how many times, every time I get ready to go to the beach, in my mind, I'm like, this is about to be the Garden of Eden for four, five straight days. I'm gonna have everything I want. The weather's gonna be perfect. There's gonna be no wind. And then I go to Florida or North Carolina where there's hurricanes and it rains every single day. And you leave that place going, golly, I'm wiped out. I wish, it's a silly illustration. I wish everything was up and to the right. But if you were honest, and I'm gonna ask you to do that today. I'm gonna ask you to be honest. Look, in Bible Belt America, most of us believe that church is like not the place that you should be your actual true selves. But I'm gonna invite you to be totally honest and challenge that. Church should be the place that we're the most honest. Be honest today. Has your life turned out the way that you think it should have? Or maybe not even that. Has it turned out the way that you wanted? Have you always been a good husband? Are you a good one now? Have you always been a good wife? Have you always been a good mom or dad? Have you always been a good child? <laughs> How about this? Have you always just fully accepted everything that you've ever gotten and never wanted anything other than what you've gotten and always been just completely satisfied with everything that you have, never wanted anything else? I mean, how's your life? If you check all those boxes, which you don't, but if you acted like you check all those boxes, then let's take a look at the whole world. Has the world turned out the way that we think? No anxiety, no wars, no bullies. Everything in the world is just smooth sailing. There's something, what I'm trying to get at is this, is like, if I'm asking you to be honest today, you have to be honest about the fact that your life, along with the whole world, is not going according to plan. There's something broken. And we keep on chasing our tail of brokenness. It's like, if I get this thing, it'll be better, fill in the blank. If I could just have this fill in the blank, it'll be better. How many people in the room have said that so many times? And so, when you get to like where you said it enough and you realize that 
this whatever I'm supposed to get, I could actually get that and I'm still gonna be asking for the next thing to make things better. If I just had more time, if I had more money, if I just didn't have to do this. One thing I say a lot working uh, just in ministry is I'm like, if we can just get past this season, things will slow down. <laughs> it never happens. It never happens. I've got an idea of the Garden of Eden that never comes. It's broken. It feels off. It's just not the way, things are not up and to the right. They just keep breaking. What do you do with that? What do you do with the brokenness of your life and the brokenness of the world and the fact that you cannot figure yourself out? You just can't. You can't figure your life out. You're not who you wanna be. You're not who you think you should be. And the world is not what it should be. There are two ways that we deal with the brokenness of life. One is to be aware of it and then immediately get overwhelmed. Depression, anxiety, we turn into curmudgeons. Pessimism, we just see everything as like, well, I'm sure this will fall apart too. Those people are super fun to be around. Or avoidance. We are aware, which leads to anxiety, or we avoid it. One of my favorite memes of all time, I should have put it up there, man, is this little cartoon dog sitting at a table. He's got a big smile on his face with a coffee mug and the whole house is burning down around him and all it says is, this is fine. Avoidance, we don't face it. We believe that everything will be okay if I can just get pay raise or more of this or if this one person will just act like they're supposed to act. If you would just act like I think you should act, I would be fine. <laughs> you ever done that? That's like once a week probably for some of us. Avoidance or depression. Two ways that we deal with the brokenness of life. But there is a third way and it's what I wanna put in front of you today and I really do want you to face it today. Facing the reality of brokenness the reality of darkness and the reality of evil in the world and in your life through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. It's easy for us in the Bible Belt to subscribe to the idea of the resurrection because we just live in America and we're in Oklahoma and you're supposed to believe in those phrases. You're supposed to say, I agree that Jesus was resurrected, yes. I'm a Christian, Jesus is Lord, even those phrases that we just blurt out that we state, we don't actually even know what they mean. They don't factor into our lives. What does the resurrection have to do with your life? What does it have to do with your life? What about the brokenness in your life? How does Jesus being raised from the dead affect my anxiety? How? We say that the resurrection happened, but we don't act like we believe it. It's more than just a story. It's more than just a phrase. It's more than just cultural beliefs. It is the ultimate, listen to me. I believe, and I hope that we can come to the same conclusion today, the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate reality for the people that follow Jesus in their life. It is ultimate reality 
it quite literally changes everything. And if you're not a Christian in the room, it's the only hope you have. The only hope you have in life and death is that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That's it. We need a deeper dive today. I wanna invite you into it. The first thing I want you to see is this. The resurrection of Jesus is hope for humanity. It's hope for humanity. In the moments between the death of Jesus and his resurrection, here's what happened. The earth grew dark. That day, that, they call it Holy Saturday. Jesus died on Friday, he raised on Sunday. That, that day is the darkest day in human history. God had poured out and was pouring out his judgment on Jesus. The darkness of the land was in correlation to the judgment of God the Father. Never before had anyone seen anything like it. Never before had anybody witnessed anything like it. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. But he was in the flesh. His heart beat, his brain worked, he thought. He had to be taught things. He had blood flowing through his body. Jesus had to learn how to walk. He was a human being. He suffered the most gruesome torture in the history of humanity, and he was also the most innocent person in the history of humanity. Reconcile those two things. He felt everything. He took the worst punishment of all time, and he deserved it the least. And he, in fact, and actually died. His heart stopped. His brain stopped firing. No blood flowing through his body. Dead. Totally dead. He had a gruesome death. He had an uneventful burial. In Jesus' death, one of the things that is the most humiliating is that all the people that had celebrated him had now turned an about face and they ridiculed him, they spit on him and mocked him. Some of you in your life, you've had fans, people that were really all for you and then they turn on you the first chance they get or the second or third chance they get. Anybody ever witnessed that? Especially if you're some sort of boss or leader in a company, you'll know. I, some of us have come to, to say, look, even jaded to the point where we go, as soon as somebody starts singing my praises, I start counting down the clock of when they're gonna get upset at something I didn't do. You ever experienced that? Parents of teenagers, man, y'all probably, I know what I was like when I was a teenager. Jesus experienced that. Seven days before Jesus was crucified, a week before he rode into Jerusalem, crowds came out of every cave, every house, every nook and cranny, they came out and they were worshiping Jesus just as he entered the city. Now imagine that, he just, he hadn't even done anything. He just walked into the city, all these crowds come and they say, Hosanna, glory to God, Hosanna in the highest. They're just excited to see him. He's got so many fans. And then the night that he was betrayed, the same people yelled at him, but they yelled something different. They said, crucify him. 
He's always been surrounded by people. People that wanted something from him or people that wanted to throw him to the dump. He suffered a gruesome death, surrounded by people, in public shame with crowds. And now that he has died, he's alone. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. He's dead. This man, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a member of the Sanhedrin, the very people that mistrialed Jesus, he secretly believed in the kingdom of God, the Bible says. He comes to the Roman governor who condemned Jesus, Pontius Pilate, he says, let me have his body. The Bible says he took courage and went to him. Joseph of Arimathea secretly, because he would lose his reputation, goes to Pontius Pilate, says, let me have his body. Nobody cared. Here's the body of Jesus. They were just gonna throw him in the trash heap. Joseph had a tomb that he bought. It was an expensive tomb. Had a giant stone. And that tomb, his whole, he would have saved up. Joseph of Arimathea was a part of the council. He was a wealthy man. So he could afford a nice coffin, essentially. Joseph says, let me take his body. Joseph of Arimathea gives Jesus his own tomb. He took courage. The man that had been betrayed by everybody that had been betrayed by Joseph of Arimathea. The man who had been denied by his friends and Peter even denied him. Joseph takes this body in the quiet, in the silence of death and despair. Takes his body and puts it in his tomb. This is the point of his death. What Jesus did on the cross is he took our place. I love this because this is the gospel. Joseph's tomb was meant for him and instead Jesus goes into Joseph's tomb and then he's raised, which Joseph could have never been. All we have to offer Jesus in our life are our tombs. All you have to offer is your tomb. That's all you can offer him, you are dead. That's it. Joseph offered his tomb. We offer Jesus our tomb. And in our place, in our grave, Jesus goes. Does what we could never do. It's brokenness. This is the theme of our lives. Everything is not moving up and to the right. Things are broken. You are, I am, we are, the world is. Jesus' body is our replacement. Is there anything broken that his body and shed blood can't speak for? Is there anything too grievous his precious innocence can't cover? Is there any place that Jesus can't go? Is there any tomb that he cannot replace? And yet this is the truth today. If Jesus had simply just died, if he had only died, it wouldn't have been enough. It would have been amazing. We would have worshiped him. He would have been like most people think, good prophet. He claimed to be God, but man, he was really probably the best one of those ever. He would have been known as the best one of those that claimed to be God and suffered a lot, really kind and tender and whatever. But if he had not 
been raised from the dead, it wouldn't have been enough. At worst, God is dead. None of this matters. At best, God's not dead, but he was a liar. He said, I was going to raise from the dead. And also, God hasn't helped us. It's just he died. It's a lose-lose. Without the resurrection, we have no hope. Understand? It's like, okay, put yourself in his shoes, but also think about it from the perspective that Jesus would have been, somebody would have done it. They would have had lived a perfect life. Somebody finally was strong enough to test the waters because we would have thought, because we'd have been taught that the only way to get to God, the only way to have life is to live perfectly. And here comes Jesus, he did that. He lived perfectly, he never sinned, and he died, and you know what? Nothing happened. Well, how are you gonna do? I mean, look at your life. Just think about the things in both hands of your life that are weighed against Jesus. Well, how do, what are you bringing to offer? All you have is a mess of brokenness and ideals and just darkness in you. Like the, All you have is this just perpetual tail chase of I can't ever quite get it together. That's what you have to offer. And imagine this, I mean, Imagine that you are so delusioned enough to think that like, well, I lived a long time without sinning. Imagine the pressure, which first off, that ain't true. But then the pressure that comes with the first time that you do, it's over. Why keep on? You cannot, you have no hope in life or death. Jesus did it. He was perfect. He died. Nothing happened. That's it. We have no hope. If Jesus was not raised from the dead, we are hopeless. And we would still be facing the fact that we will, all of us, someday die. And there's no hope for us after that, but thanks be to God, that's not where it ended. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him and very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb and they were saying to one another, now, the next sentence is not the phrase that people who are expecting Jesus to be risen from the dead, this is not the question they would be asking. They were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, And they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. The best news I can tell you today, and it really is, please get outside of Oklahoma familiarity with the resurrection of Jesus. The best news I can tell you today is that great thing that Jesus came to do worked. It worked. It absolutely, 100%, there's no question about it. Jesus' perfect life as a sacrifice for us 
worked. God raised him from the dead. It worked. It worked. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to find a place for all of your shame to go. It worked. There is one place that it can and should go to Jesus. It changes everything for you and me. It's a game changer. The resurrection is the assurance that Jesus' sacrifice, in fact, is a real hope. It's not hopeless. It is a real hope. It's the hope for the darkness of you, the darkness of death, and the darkness of humanity. Here's what happened. God became a human being. He lived without sin by the power of the Spirit and finished the task that God the Father put on him. And because of that, we have real hope. Philippians 2, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him now the name that is above every name. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ was not raised from the dead, then you might as well move on and worship every other God that you have on your mantle. Every other one. Just put him up there as one of the great prophets. If he was not raised from the dead, look at the mantle of your heart where we have job and career and success and whatever and all of those others and some of us even have Buddha or whoever. And all of those other gods that demand so much from us, they promise a state of peace and nirvana if you can just get perfect. If you can just find ultimate satisfaction just with no help. If you within you can figure out how to live a distracted less life. If you could figure that out, you will finally achieve peace. Put Jesus on that mantle. He's just there with everyone else. But if he rose from the dead, then you have to sweep the whole mantle clean because nobody else can claim that. If Jesus rose from the dead, nobody else can come close to that. It's time to sweep the mantle clean. Nothing compares. Your job didn't rise from the dead. Your family didn't, your kids, your dreams. Nobody went to the cross for you. All of those idols, man, they're lowercase, they're small, they pale in comparison. Those idols of the heart, comfort, all of that, They weren't a worthy sacrifice. Sweep the mantle. Put Jesus up there. He's the only one worthy of it. He deserves all the praise and glory. The fact of the resurrection is our baseline for faith. Faith that Jesus' death and resurrection are this, the only hope we have for future life. It's proof that he is in fact a worthy sacrifice 
proof that if we bank on Jesus, and I mean that, if we bank on him, up against the backboard, nobody's going straight in perfectly. I'm talking about imperfect faith. 51% of you even, maybe. Dimly burning candles. The Bible says that he won't, he will not extinguish a dimly burning wick. Come with all of that. Just enough to say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't have perfect faith. I'm not good at this. I don't know the Bible. I don't know the whole story. I don't know. But I'm, I'm banking on this Jesus. I'm banking on that he was risen from the dead. If we bank on Jesus, put our only hope in life and death, we bank on the fact that we will also be saved and that we will rise from the dead. I love this story. I want us to feel it today. I want us to get unfamiliar with it and re-familiarize ourselves in a way that really changes our heart, changes history, but as good as it is, if this is where it ended, it would be more than enough for us. If we had the ending of Mark, which is an abrupt ending of all the gospels, it's the fastest, most abrupt. If we had just that, Jesus was raised and that was it, again, that would be more than enough, but time and again in my life and in the Bible and in your life time and again I think that I've gotten all of the goodness of Jesus like I can't figure out any more goodness and then he just keeps proving he's better than I ever can imagine here's the question that I'll have it would have been enough for Jesus to just be raised from the dead and then gone but Jesus resurrected is better than you can imagine. I love this story. My second point is resurrected Jesus doesn't stop working. He didn't go to rest. He didn't go to bed. He never sleeps or slumbers and he prays for us. One simple line that's worth our attention today is in verse seven, but go tell the disciples and Peter. This is coming from an angel. Tell the disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. Peter had denied Jesus. He had said, I don't believe in him. He said, I don't know him. Three different times in one night. An angel representing God, the voice of God, it would have been enough for him to even known that Peter existed, for him to even utter Peter's name. That would have been enough. But for this disciple, I mean, for this angel to go say, Peter is not a disciple, God is always honest with us. In his love, he's honest. Peter is not a follower of me. However, go tell the disciples and find Peter. God should have done what I think he should have done. Discard Peter. <laughs> this dude... We slept on the same ground, in the same tents. We found food together. He watched me calm the storm and heal people and raise a girl from the dead. I told him he was gonna deny me. If I'm Jesus, this is what I'm thinking. I literally warned him. So first off, he just, he's too absent-minded to even hang out with me. I'd just be annoyed at that. And then he denied three times. That's what I would have done. I'm like, I did it, man. I proved him wrong. If I went and found Peter, 
it would be for one purpose, to prove him wrong. I told you, I told you, and here I am. <laughs> That'd have been me, proud. Jesus is not like me, thanks be to God. Craziest thing happens, Jesus in his resurrected body, he's still working that question. What would Jesus be like if he was resurrected? And here's the answer. In John 21, Peter had gone, he had left, he had denied Jesus, he wasn't a part. In John 21, he's out fishing with other disciples. Resurrected, glorified body, Jesus, who now has a glorified body of flesh, walks to find Peter. Imagine that. What would he look like? How would it feel to step on the ground as a glorified person? He walks to find Peter, the abandoner. Peter, the liar. Peter, the denier. Jesus pursues him. That is crazy. He pursues him. The tortured and murdered, the Jesus that had absorbed all of sin on the cross, Peter's sin. Jesus had gone into the pit of hell, came out with the keys of life. Jesus is being murdered and tortured and absorbing the full judgment of the Father that was Peter and mine and your fault, goes into the pit of hell, comes out on the other side, all the while Peter is warming his hands by the fire and he's gone fishing. This is, I'm telling you guys, listen to me. Maybe I'm the only one here today that feels this, but if it's just for me personally, like I, I feel the, I feel Peter's denial. I'm Peter. I am. And you are too. You maybe just don't know it, but you are. It is the best news in the world for you and me today that resurrected Jesus pursues us. That's the best news. Here's how Jesus does it. When they go out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place. With fish laid out on it and bread, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. Jesus, remember, he gave them the fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus did that, kept the net from tearing. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? (laughs) They knew it was the Lord. He's the only one that can multiply food. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. I would find Peter and prove him wrong. Jesus finds Peter and cooks him a meal that he provided the fish for. He is everything. He is way better than you can imagine. He gives us food. He gives us more than we need. Then he cleans it and he cooks it for us. He becomes 
our host at his table. Resurrected Jesus is better than you can ever imagine. The Bible says he doesn't sleep nor slumber. He is always at work, constantly praying for us and with us. This is simple today, but it's the most profound thing you can ever hear and believe in your life. He does not extinguish dimly burning wicks. What that means is this, a candle that's just barely lit. It barely, you might even be able to see the flame, but it's barely lit in its faith. You might be saying this along with Peter, like, I have denied Jesus, I have denied the church. I have been fed up, I've lived my own life, gone my own way, I used to have some kind of faith, but I don't have faith really anymore. I just got barely a little bit, I had enough faith to get in the car and come today. I'm telling you that resurrected Jesus told you to get in that car, he's pursued you to this place today so that he could tell you that he wants to fan the flame. He wants to fan it. You cannot have faith without Jesus putting faith in us. He gives us the fish, he builds the fire, he cooks the meal. After he's pursued us, he's the host. Everything he did, he's pursuing Peter. Peter didn't even have to catch his own fish. So hey, listen to me. Abandoners, deniers, liars, Everybody here who said, I've done it, but I don't do it anymore. I don't even know if I believe in Jesus. I don't know if I have the strength to believe in God. All of you who are so used to church, but so unused to the gospel, everybody in this room, if you have denied Jesus, I'm telling you, he is pursuing you today. No question about it. Let's stand together.